Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we want to just say thank you for bringing Brother Shaw our way, and Lord, that you're still using him there, and that he's not slowing down at all to think about retirement, but just to think about serving you more. And Lord, we want to thank you for that, and we want you to encourage us to do the same with our lives. We ask that you would bless each part of this service, that you would be lifted up, and Lord, we pray that we would go forth from this place different than when we came, more able to love you and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll have the children dismissed at this time to the children's church. And the rest of us, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. And if you want to get ahead a little bit, just stick your bulletin or a finger in 1 John chapter 1, because we'll be going there uh, Friday evening. I actually had the privilege of preaching at the uh, Northeast Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. That's a group of pastors in the Northeast here. And, and um, as I was preparing to preach to the preachers, I was working on something, and, and uh, I'm modified the message somewhat because it's just a little different setting here at our church, but some things that I have personally been just working on spiritually for quite a while here, struggling through, uh, seem to have gotten some clarification, and what I'm hoping to do is, is share that with you this morning in this sermon. And Romans 8.28, uh, it's a verse that we often quote, a verse that we know well, And uh, let's just read it all together out loud, if you would. If you're there in your Bibles, let's read this verse together out loud. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, let's try that one more time. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, uh, I just want us to understand that the context of this verse is talking about the working of God in the life of the believer. It starts out with, there is therefore now no condemnation. We go to the end of chapter 8. And it gives us that incredible treatise on who shall separate us from the love of God. And the answer, of course, is nothing, nobody, anything, anywhere, anytime can separate a believer from the love of Jesus Christ. And those are wonderful things. And, and many times uh, we quote this verse or have this verse quoted to us when we find ourselves in adverse circumstances. And you say, well, listen, we know that all things work together for good, and that's usually where they stop. Now, I want to challenge you, that's not true. What the Bible says is true. And we know that all things work together for good, but, but there is an emphasis on here. There's a filter, we might say, a, a, a requirement that has to be met to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, 
What we need to be able to do here, if we're going to enjoy this verse, if we're going to live in the, in the realm of where all things work together for good, we have to put ourselves in the state of being or in the realm of loving God. Are we together on that? You see, things, most of us cannot control the things that go on in the world around us. How many of you have ever tried? Uh, we call them armchair quarterbacks. Oh, they, they know better than the professionals. If he'd only done this. You ever heard anybody comment on the game? Or especially uh, 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 baseball, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll criticize uh, the manager and talk about how that he put the wrong player in at the wrong time. And, and, and my first thought has always been, why don't you have that job? Well, it's because you couldn't do it. And so we'll, we'll just leave those things. But so many times we want to armchair quarterback God. How many of you have ever tried to tell God that we know he doesn't make mistakes, but you, you might just could have changed the circumstances a little better here? I'll tell you, we're tempted to do that, aren't we? Hello? But the Bible says, and we know all things work together for good to them that Love God. You see, I can't control things. But what I can do is I can work on loving God. You see, so often we try to work on things. That's God's business. When what we need to be working on is loving God. Because once you're saved, let me challenge you, you are called according to God's purpose. The next verse there tells us the purpose that God has for us is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. And I, I just, uh, as I was working on this, the question came back to me, how much work does God need to do in my life so that someone who would look at me, someone who would examine my life, would not see Pete Montoro, but would see Jesus Christ. You know what the answer is? A lot. How, much, how many of you would say, yeah, I, I think I qualify for that. There, there's a lot of work that needs to go on in my life so that someone looking at me would not see me, but would see the image of Christ. That, that is God's calling. And let me challenge you, you can't do that. Only God can. You can't control things. Only God can. But you can do something. You can love God. Now that is a term that sometimes is very ambiguous. What does it mean to love God? Well, I'm in church, aren't I? Well, that's a good thing. Yes. Uh, I, I read my Bible. Well, that's, that's a good thing. But can you go to church and read your Bible and not love God? Absolutely. You can. Uh, you can do everything that is right. In fact... 
what does Jesus... Uh, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday nights, and at the end of that uh, greatest sermon that was ever preached, what did Jesus... He ends it with this um, very, very strong... A statement that not everyone that says unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, sometimes it takes a long time. How many of you are here for Sunday school heard the testimony of Brother Shaw? That pastor was there for almost 30 years before he took the diving board into the foolishness and folly of Calvinism. And almost destroyed that church. And I love the way Brother Shaw put it. He said he started reading men's books more than God's books. And that is always the case. Because you can't find Calvinism in the Bible. Uh, you can only find it in men's books. And here as we look through this passage, I, I want us this morning to examine what does it mean to be a part of them that love God. What does loving God look like? I wish I had a dollar for every person. Oh, I love God. I just love God. I read the Bible every day. Oh, well, what about church? Well, you know, I, there's just things that keep me... Uh, what about living a life that reflects Jesus Christ? Well, you know, I do the best I can, God. And they start making excuses for everything the Bible says ought to be evident in our life if we truly love God. I don't know how many of you have ever been truly in love with another human being. But I'll challenge you, if you have... It changes your behavior. It alters the way you do things. You know, every once in a while, I'll get a call from one of the kids at college, and, you know, it's like, well, you know, Dad, uh, how do you... Uh, I, I just need some dad advice here, you know. There's some... Uh, 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 girls here at school that kind of got my attention and, uh, okay, you're overthinking. Slow down. You see, we, we want to love. We want to be loved. That God put that in us. Amen? He did because He wants us to understand a little bit as much as we can in our human minds, how much He loves us. Did the fact that God loves us change God's behavior? Well, let's stop and think about that. Why did Jesus come to the cross? Why did He leave heaven's glory? We just had Easter Sunday last Sunday. If you're of the Orthodox calendar, it's this Sunday. And uh, if you're of the Baptist calendar, it's every Sunday, amen. Uh, we, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, the greatest demonstration of love in all of history. Now, why do we love God? We love Him. How many of you know the rest of it? Let's say it together. Because He first loved us. 
You know, that's the easiest way it is to return love to a person is when they love you first. You know, we sang those songs in grace that is greater than all my sin. It's got to be one of my top favorite hymns. There's only about a hundred of those uh, because it just reflects what God has done to show us His love. Amen? Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And these are some truths that I have uh, attempted to preach on many, many occasions. And this morning... I want us just to walk through this chapter here. We're going to try to get through all ten verses in the next few moments here and then put in an application and try to have you uh, uh, have enough time to get back for the evening service tonight. But uh, we're just going to read that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So let's, let's start with verse 4 and go back and pick these things up. How many of you could raise a hand today and say, the joy of Jesus has completely filled my life and there's room for nothing else I am full of the joy of Christ. I'm just showing you what to do because my life needs a little work in that. How about you? How many say, I, I could use a little more joy in my life? Hello? If you're not going to be honest in church, where are you going to be honest? That's always the question we ask. We, we all are in need of more joy, are we not? Well, let's find out what the Bible's saying here. Of course, he says... In verse 4, that your joy may be full, which means you can miss this. You can be saved and not have that full joy. And most of us confess publicly that uh, there, there is a need for more of that joy in my life, that our joy is not full. And this is what it means to love Christ. Best illustration I can give. Wedding day. I'll tell you what. If you've ever witnessed a bride on wedding day who is full of love and anticipation for all the things that a wedding and marriage is supposed to bring, I'll tell you what. The bride walks in and the auditorium just gets brighter. And what is really cool is, and wonderful is when you look down the aisle, and, and I've done this on two occasions already, bringing my daughter down the aisle, and then I see the face of the groom up there. And he's just like, it's finally happening. She's going to say yes. I'm going to get married today. I love that. That's the way it ought to be, isn't it? And it's full 
Their lives are completely full. I remember our wedding day, it rained. And somebody said, oh, wow, it rained on your roof. We didn't care. It was kind of nice. It calmed things down a little bit. I mean, I was breaking up the Marshall family, and most of you have no idea what that was like, but that was quite a traumatic experience in independent Baptist circles. Uh, it was kind of like Shirley Temple growing up on the movie screen, and uh, uh, he's not going to kiss her, is he? Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that's part of it, amen? Listen. Full. How, how do you get that? That your joy may be full. How do you get that? See, part of our problem is, let's start in verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Do you get what John is saying here? He's not saying that which is created in the beginning or that which was uh, started at the beginning. He said he was already in existence. He was from the beginning. He, he was from before the beginning. He, he was already there. He said, we have heard. We have seen with our eyes. We have looked upon and our hands have handled. Now, now John is saying, listen, we heard Jesus talk when he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, when we read that in Luke chapter 5, that wasn't the first time Jesus had talked to the, those that would become the closest of his disciples. He had already had a, an interaction with Andrew and John and, or, and, um, and uh, uh, Andrew and Philip. I'm going to mess it up here. But, uh, uh, and he had already talked to Peter and given Peter a new name and he'd already told Nathaniel. That, that he was an Israelite indeed, in, in whom is no guile. There, there had already been some contact there. But we find in Mark chapter 4, it says, They took him as he was, even as he was into the ship. Which means those disciples literally took Jesus by the hand or maybe by the arm, as, as is often the case when you're leading someone and, and put him on the ship. He said, let us go to the other side. And, and the disciples said, ah, we can handle this. Until the storm came, right? Until the ship was full of water and there was Jesus asleep. I, I just wish there was some way to put a physical picture of the one in my mind as he is laying there, his body inclining up the back of the ship and the water maybe coming up and lapping about his waist. Perfectly at rest, and the disciples are despairing even of their lives. Do you think they came up and said, Jesus, Jesus? No, they handled him. <laughs> they put their hands on him and said, Jesus, wake up! Don't you care? We're all going to die! John was remembering those things. He said, Our hands have handled him. We heard him speak. We saw him. When he stood at Lazarus' tomb and said, roll away the stone, and Martha protested, saying, that, that's not going to be a very pleasant experience, Lord. 
Why, why would we roll the stone away and re, be reminded of the corruption and the decay that has set in? And they rolled away the stone and the tomb did stink because Lazarus really was dead. But then they heard Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth. Those that have been there say there were 22 steps down to the to the pallets carved in the stone where the bodies were laid. How did Lazarus come forth? I don't know, maybe a couple of angels just picked him up and carried him up. Uh, I rather think the force of his voice, because all nature obeys the spoken word of God. Amen? John said, we've seen all these things. We've handled him. We've heard him. He said, of the word of life. And that reminds me of what Peter said when Jesus asked the disciples in, in John chapter 6 as he was trying to explain to them the truth of the work that he would do on Calvary's cross. And everybody went away and he said, will you also go away? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We live in a world where everybody wants to believe that everybody is okay. Oh, we all serve the same God. No, we do not all serve the same God. We are not all the children of God. Only those that are born into God's family are His children. Does God hear the prayers of all men? Absolutely, He's God. But he's under no obligation to listen to any of them. Except those that come from his children. Or, the only prayer of an unsaved person God is obligated to hear is when they call out to him, God be merciful to me a sinner. You know, Jesus has never rejected one plea for salvation. Have you ever thought about that? He's never turned anyone away. John said, we've seen him, we've heard him. He was from the beginning. We've handled him. He is the word of life. There is no place you can go to get salvation. And so this morning, I want to just ask you, as members of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and people attending here, how well do you know the story of Jesus? Now, if you're here for our Sunday school time, let me tell you, you're going to learn the story of Jesus. You're going to learn all the stories of the Bible. But how many of you think you could use more than one trip through the Bible? Amen? That's why we keep repeating it. Because every time we go through, we've got, I think, about 15... 20 lessons or so, we have the life of Christ. And when we get to the story of the resurrection, and I know that uh, uh, Andrew taught on that uh, last Sunday morning because it was the Easter Sunday and, and the day that that is actually commemorated. But when we get through the New Testament to the story of the resurrection, we've completed eight complete trips through the Bible. Now, it's taken us almost 26 years to do that. And guess what? We're going to start over again. Because I challenge you, 
We don't know the story of Jesus as well as we ought to. We could all learn a little bit more. Would you agree with me? If you would, would you just say amen? That's saying, I agree with you, preacher. You're, you're not just saying something. You're saying something that's right. You're saying something I agree with and, and something I want to participate in. And so I want to encourage you to be here at 1030 because it's, it's going to be a helpful time. But let's turn that question around just a little bit. First, how well do you know the story of Jesus? But how well do you know the Jesus of the story? Now that puts it in a completely different light, does it not? I mean, I, I, you would have to be quite a hermit indeed not to know the story of the first year or so of our current president, President Trump. I mean, it is everywhere. Has the man done anything right, according to the news media? Uh, I mean, everything that has ever happened. I mean, they're trying to blame the storms on the president. They're, I mean, uh, they're trying to blame everything on him. But I dare say there's not a one of us in this room that actually knows the president of the story, has a personal relationship with Donald Trump. I mean, I've never traveled in those circles and honestly have no intention of ever traveling in those circles. Uh, I, I just want to be true to the Bible. I don't know him. But you know, there's a difference between knowing the story of Jesus and then knowing the Jesus of the story. A personal, living relationship. You see, Second Peter 1, 3, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. If you want what you need to live the Christian life, you've got to get to know Jesus. You've got to have a knowledge of Him. I've often used this illustration, and I just bring it forth again, of the couple who were celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary or somewhere in that neighborhood, and uh, there was a loaf of fresh-baked bread on the table for breakfast, and, and the husband carefully and gingerly sliced the first slice of bread, the crust off the back of the bread, and toasted it carefully and buttered it and slid the plate across to his wife, and she burst out into tears. 30 years of marriage and you still give me the heel of the bread. See, in her house, they cut the crust off the ends of the bread and threw them away. And his mouth dropped open and he said, The heel? That's not the heel, that's the crown. We used to fight over who got the, the end of the bread because that's where all the good flavor was. I'd say they have a real problem with lack of communication, wouldn't you? To be married all those years, thinking he was honoring his wife, and the wife thinking that the husband was dishonoring her all those times, and never talked about it. You know, the question we need to really examine this morning is, how well do we communicate? With Jesus Christ. How much of this book do we know? The word of life. 
Every time I ask that question, I'm reminded I need more joy in my life. And, and, and it is reflected in the hands and the faces that, are, that I preach to every Sunday. We need more joy. But the only way we're going to get it is we have to understand. We have to talk to Him that was from the beginning. That's called prayer. Amen? We have to let Him talk to us. That's reading this book called the Bible. We need to know the story of Jesus, but so much more. We've got to get to know the Jesus of the story. Would He be ashamed to walk down the streets of our city with Him? Or would He be glad and full of joy that He had the privilege of spending time with us. You see, let me just read you a few statements that Jesus made. John 10.10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. John 15.11, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. John 16, 24, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Do you think that's what David was talking about in Psalm 37 when he said, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart? Does that sound like joy? How many of you have ever set your heart on something? And... I know we're in church this morning, but it doesn't have to be spiritual. Just, just something you set your heart on. And you finally got there. You finally got that thing that you've been striving and planning and working. I never will forget, as long as God gives me a memory, all of the struggle and the labor it took to have my name mispronounced as I walked up on the platform to receive my college diploma. And I'm sitting here. All this sacrifice. All this work. And this guy doesn't even care enough to know how to pronounce Montoro. And that's not hard. And it, and it, it rankled me a little bit. And I remember holding that thing in my hand looking at it and it was blank because I still had two more classes to take in order to get the piece of paper but they let me walk the line uh, because I knew I was going to take the two classes in the next uh, four weeks and I'd be there was only one thing I wanted to do when they finally gave me that piece of paper that was get out of town oh there are a few towns that I dislike more than Springfield, Missouri. It just was not a very pleasant time. Uh, the college was changing and I was changing. And, and praise God, I changed the way I did. I wasn't a Baptist when I got to school. I didn't have a Bible. I had a Bible full of errors. I, I didn't know what it meant to live differently than the world. I was taught that you just got to live as close as you can and God will understand. I, I didn't know any of those things. I'm glad I learned those things in college. I wasn't even baptized right when I went to school. But the Lord used that time to straighten all those things out. 
But I just remember that empty feeling like, okay, I've spent the last 16 years of my life trying to get this piece of paper. But then, I packed it all up, put it in a box, packed up my tools, my clothes, my Bible, and went to Omaha, Nebraska to start work with Larry Clinton. You know what I found? There is joy in serving Jesus. You see, the piece of paper wasn't the goal. The goal was to prepare my life to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you heard the joy in Brother Shaw's testimony? He said, I'm not retiring. I mean, I, I love that. I love that. Now, we, we did retire this year. Uh, they had a sale at Metro Tire, and our tires on the van were all worn out and getting bald, and so we retired the van. Amen? Uh, that's the only kind of retirement I, I really am looking forward to, is so we can keep moving. Amen? And, and is Jesus your joy? It is serving the Lord Jesus Christ what really lights you up inside? Or is it something else? I want to challenge you that if you want to be in that group of them that love God, there ought to be a joy in your heart about the message and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a satisfaction that is there. There's a fulfillment that is there that you can't get in anything else, any other accomplishment, anything this world has to offer. I don't care if you won the lottery. In fact, I'll pray for you because you're in for a life of woe. Most of the people that have won great lottery things, and oh, all my answers are met. Six years, they're either in bankruptcy court or dead or worse. That, that's not where I want to go. That's not my joy, to have all the money that I would... I'll tell you what, if you have a lot of money, you know this. You've got to work hard to keep it or somebody's going to steal it from you. That's just the world we live in. And if somebody doesn't steal it from you, oh, they call it taxation. <clears throat> Same thing! Just government-sanctioned theft. I'll tell you what, they can't steal my salvation. They can't steal Jesus. They can't tax him. You see, that's where the joy comes from. Now, if I don't hurry up, we're never even going to get through the introduction here. Okay, let's keep moving. Verse 5. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light... And in him is no darkness at all. Now, here's what John's actually saying in verse 5. He said, this is the message. This is everything you need to know about Jesus Christ. God is light. And in him 
is no darkness at all. God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. I want you to stop and think a minute here. How many of you have been affected by darkness from another person's life? Hello? Do you you understand what I'm saying by that? How many of you have been affected by darkness or sin in another person's life who claimed to be serving God at the very time they injured you? Tell you what, you've been there. It's happened. How many of you have ever heard this? Well, you can get too much of that Bible there. It'll make you crazy. You know, you could, you could end up being a total nutcase like that pastor you have at your church. That, that's not for everybody. Well, uh, my dear mother used to tell me, you can, you can get too much of that Bible. It'll make you crazy. She knows better now. She's with the Lord. Amen. You can't get too much of Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the only person, the only truth you will ever know that has no darkness in it. See, that's a problem with Calvinism. Is the Calvinist wrong about everything? No. Not even the devil's wrong about everything. Read James chapter 2. He believes that there's one God and he trembles. He's not wrong about everything. The only guy that was wrong about everything was Harold Camping. I mean, that guy was wrong about everything. I don't know anything he's right about. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, all you need to do is say, Thank you, Jesus. One of the most perverse theological persons that ever lived. You see, the problem is, There's light and dark in everything but God. There's no evil in God. There's no darkness in God. No darkness at all. Have you ever thought of... We we have things that we think and we... We often humanize God. Read Romans chapter 1. That was the mistake. They made God likened to themselves and likened to the animals. And you read some of those uh, uh, Egyptian and Babylonian and Greek mythologies and you'd say, wow, their gods were so absolutely human. Yeah, they were because they were the story of great human beings. That's where the mythology comes from. It comes from the lives that people lived. Maybe some of them before the flood. You, you, and you read those stories and all we have is the perversion and the wickedness and the, and the evil and the avarice. But you see, in God is no darkness at all. Now read the next verse with me. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie... And do not the truth. You know what? You can lie. 
Here's what the Bible's saying. You can lie about your relationship with God, but you're just going to be a liar. That's all. And you know what? There are people out there who will believe the lies. And if no one else will believe your lies about yourself, let me tell you who's the first in line to believe your lies. You are. That's what self-deception is. The Bible says men shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. If you are not walking in that light, you're, you're just playing Christianity. You can say you have fellowship with God. How many of you have ever heard Joel Olstein? I mean, he is famous. He realize your inner champion, which is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I don't want to realize my inner champion. I, I want to stamp on it. I want Jesus to crush it and, and override it with his goodness and his life. No matter how much I want to do good in my life because of who I am, there is darkness attached to that. I've got to get rid of that darkness if I'm going to walk with Jesus. How many of you know what, that, what I'm talking about here? How many of you have committed sin trying to serve God? There, there we are. That's, that's our plight. That's, that's why our joy isn't full. Well, let's read on here and, and see what it says. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. How many of you got that quotation? Brother Shaw put it on the door of his church down there in Brazil. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Hey, that, that only applies to them that walk in the light. Amen? How many of you remember when you first got saved and you started learning things about the Bible and you started going... Wow, I shouldn't be doing that now, should I? Hello? You know what happened? I turned on the light. You know one of the things I love about camping out in the wilderness? No mirrors. No running water. All you need to do is enjoy living. And you wonder why everybody looks at you a little funny. We went camping with Brother Horton one time, and we were in a tent up in the Adirondacks, and we woke up, and he looked over at me, and he says, Boy, you're scary when you wake up. And then Andrew was on the other side. He had somehow wound up in the middle there, and he looks over at Andrew, and he says, You're scary, too. And he's sitting there going, Well, I can't see. You're the only one that has to put up with it. I'm not worried about it. But I'll tell you what, even if I walk past the side of the van and look into that rearview mirror, I'm going, oh man. <clears throat> there are some things that are going to have to be attended to before I return to civilization. Otherwise, nobody believe I'm a preacher. Is it okay to laugh on Sunday morning? But can we get a real application from that? See, when I turn on the light, 
What am I going to be faced with? You see how simple this passage really is? If we're if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what the rest of the chapter is talking about? How Jesus takes away our sin. Have you ever met anybody that couldn't see? That they were not living the Bible life? I mean, many times I've heard stories and I've met people over the years. I had a family member one time, we were just talking a little bit, and the uh, wife there that had married uh, a family member of mine, she just looked over and she said, Now you listen here. I'm not one of those people that needs saving. Oof. She said, that, you know, that I, I met a Baptist preacher in my state, and he kept talking to me about being saved and needing my sins forgiven. I told him, I don't have any. That's for those people that don't go to church. And Oh, I mean, she just read me the riot act. What did I do? You know what? You can't say anything to somebody like that. Because they won't come to the light to see who and what they are. You can't convince them. You see, the only thing that will convince you of who and what you are and your need of salvation is the light and the mirror of this book. Can we say amen to that? And could I challenge you the Christian life is the endeavor to be closer to God. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? But the closer you get to God, the more sinful you will understand yourself to be. Because the little things that you ignored, you most of us, we look at our life and we say, well... If I could just get a hold of this one thing, everything would be okay. Wrong. It's not one thing. It's everything. And, and I've met people that just literally throw up their I can't do that. And my first response is, oh, welcome to the human race. None of us can do that. God never intended you to do that. Who is the story about anyway? Is it about you? Or is it about Jesus? Well, we've got a couple of people who are listening. The story is about Jesus. Amen? I often refer to this because we, we need to be reminded. How many are you thankful of God's patience with us? How many of you are thankful that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Can we say amen to that? You see, if we walk in the light, where is our focus? God's holiness and my sinfulness. 
And we confess our sins to Him, and He forgives us our sins. Those other verses are for the people in, in verse 6 who say they walk in the light, but uh, say they have uh, fellowship with Him and walk in darkness. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. You see, in Him, God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. And as I walk in the light, as He is in the light, See, one thing light always does is it drives out the darkness, doesn't it? Only in man-made horror movies does the darkness put out the light. In the real world, it never works that way. Now, in a surgery ward, if you've ever been in one, you're laying on the table there and they're pumping you full of drugs and you're just sitting there going, ah. Uh, but you'll look up and what is there in an, every surgical ward? Huge lights. And it's not just one light. It's over here, over here, over here, over here. You know why? Because when that doctor's cutting on me, I don't want him doing anything in the shadows. I want him to see everything he's cutting. How about you? And especially when he starts putting things back together. Uh, I'd like it done right. If you've ever had the chance of reading a surgical report, I unfortunately, uh, in 2000, I had a surgery, and the doctor sent me the, the, the report that was supposed to go to the insurance company. I said, I'm going to read this thing. Oh, man, that was terrible. Uh, I, I didn't know I had seven layers he was sewing on. He's sewing on seven different layers. And I'm sitting there going, I didn't know I was that thick. But apparently that, it was in there because he found it and he was sewing it all up. And I, I'm glad he did a good job. But they have to have light to see what they're doing. Lots of it. Now God wants to put you under the light of of His holiness. I've had many people over the years, Pastor, I just can't quit smoking, or I can't quit this, or I can't quit that, or I got this problem, and I just... And the answer is always the same. If you were holding Jesus' hand, would you be able to reach in your other pocket and light up a smoke? Well, of course not. If Jesus was sitting on the couch, would you offer him a beer? Now, I've had some people that say, oh, yeah. I say, you know something? This conversation's over. Your attitude toward God stinks. And if they have any repentance at all, they're like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. We don't treat God like that because he's light. And in him is no darkness at all. And when we walk in that light, we have to clean up our act because we're walking with Jesus. Amen? And did you catch that other phrase in there? It's in verse 3 and in, in uh, verse 7. You see, in verse 3, 
John says, that ye may have fellowship with us. And in verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. How many of you would it astound if I told you there were unlovable people as members of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Would that come as a great shock to anybody? Uh, what if I told you that your pastor was unlovable as a person? You'd say, oh, I would never believe that. Okay, well, we'll play with the lie, but every one of us are unlovable at times, are we not? More or less according to our human nature and what we allow and how much darkness we allow into our lives. But if I'm walking in the light and you're in the light, we can't help but love each other. How is that love manifested? By helping each other walk in the light. Amen? You see, if I want to be them that love God, guess what? I need to be full of Jesus Christ because that's where my joy comes from. I need to be walking in the light. And where is my focus then? You see, my focus isn't on the people that are around me. It's on the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And it's, Dear Heavenly Father, I know that this part of my life does not please you, will you change me? Will you forgive me for my sin? Will you help reorder my life and my desires so that they will be toward the light instead of away from the light? How many of you have prayed that prayer? You know what? That is the process. And as my focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ asking Him to change what needs to be changed in my life, I'm going to find out there's people walking right alongside of me. And that's how we encourage one another. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, Well, you know, I've been looking... And I want to give you a list of things that you need to fix in your life. You ever had anybody do that? Oh, man. We had one guy a long, long time ago, praise God. And he'd call me on the phone Sunday afternoon and tell me what was wrong with Sunday morning's message. And the first time that happened to me, man, I was devastated. I was a young man in the ministry, and I'm sitting there going... And so I, I called Brother Clayton. I said, Brother Clayton, I said, what, what is going on? He says, well, he said, let me, let me explain something to you. He said, did you preach the message God wanted you to preach today? I said, as much as in me is. He said, that's what I thought. He says, well, let me explain to you that he's just someone that the devil is using to discourage you in serving God. Boy, that put things in a different light. Because nothing that he said was really real. It had just bothered him because 
He wanted to be the guy in charge. So next time he called, I said, you know something? I said, do you know? I said, uh, a couple of the guys in the church, I said, we'd like to come over and have a talk with you because if all these things that you're saying is really true, we got real problems in our church and they need to be addressed by the men of our church. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'll never call you again. And disappeared. And you see, that's how the devil always works. How many of you here would say, Pastor, I am so clueless. I don't even know what the problems are in my life. And and I really need you to investigate my entire life. Do a life audit and tell me where the problems are in my life. Do we have anybody like that here today? How many of us would rather say, I got a pretty good idea what the problems are? Hello? I got a pretty good idea what needs to be fixed. Because if you're saved and you're trying to walk in the light, guess what? You don't need me to tell you what your sins are. You already know what you're fighting with. What you need me to do, a sermon like today, is say, just get closer to the light. Amen? Because I don't know about you, I need to be in that group of them that love God. Because I have too much going on in my life to worry about things. How about you? I don't want to spend my life worrying about what might happen and what I need to do to straighten those things out. The Bible says that all things work together for good to them that love God. So if I put myself in that place of loving God, and here we have a description of what that is. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. That's loving God. That your joy may be full. Hey, the message of Jesus is real. He is the Word of life. He's the one that loved me more than anyone else. I, I, I just don't know how many times over the years, nobody loves me, nobody really cares about me. And I just I say, you don't believe your Bible then. And I always get, of course I do. I wouldn't be in the church here if I didn't believe the Bible. Well, you just said nobody loves you and nobody cares about you. That is not true. That which was from the beginning loves you more than anyone ever could. The word of life gave his life so that you could have life. How could anybody or how could anybody love you more? You see, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, believe it or not, this morning I have tried to preach one of the most theologically deep sermons I have ever tried to preach to this church. But how complicated is that? Not very complicated, is it? People have written books 
and never got as far as you got this morning. Hours and hours of endless lecture and prattle. And all you need to understand that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. And if I walk in that light that God gives me, my first focus is on seeking Jesus to clean up my life. And I'll find out that there are other people walking along with me. And we can encourage one another in the context, in the living organism of the local church. And we can find ourselves in that group that love God. That's the only part of that verse you have anything to do with. You can't make things work together for good. But you can love God. You cannot emboss or stamp the image of Jesus Christ in your life. God can. If you'll love Him and walk in the light, guess what? He changes you and makes you like His Son so that when we get to heaven, we can glorify Him together. And if that doesn't get your joy buzzer buzzing, it's done busted. It needs to be fixed. We can set our joy on anything. But where it needs to be is getting to know the Jesus of the story. The only way I'm going to get to know him is walk in that light. And all God's people say, Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we ask that you administer your word to our hearts. Lord, that in this time of invitation, we would not look to the darkness that may be existent in the life of others, but we would look to the darkness that is in our own life, and that we would be bold enough and humble enough to come to an old-fashioned altar confess our sins, find that forgiveness that is promised through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, we pray that if there be one here today that does not know you as their personal Savior, that has never experienced that second birth, that today at least they'd be willing to let someone take the Bible and begin to answer those questions and let the Holy Spirit of God do that work which only God can do in leading us to trust Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us to live for you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as Andrew leads in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, just lay that hymn book aside and come. If you need to be saved today, would you come?